as an individual contributor, your success is mostly driven by the technical skills, the thing that you actually do in whatever field you're working in. But as a people leader in your organization, it is way less about your technical expertise and way more about your people skills and your attitude. And that second part is what we're going to talk about today because there are a few key principles that are going to make the biggest difference in your effectiveness as a leader. And today we're going to cover six of them. Stay tuned. Here's the question. How do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role, build the confidence and competence to lead your team effectively and establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization? That's the question and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders. I'm a leadership coach, a mom of three, a coffee lover, and a travel enthusiast. Stick around because in this show, you'll learn how to think, communicate, and act to become a confident, high-performing leader people love to work with. Let's go. Welcome to this episode of the Manager Track podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the attitudes and principles of leadership, which I think is the most important yet so often overlooked or the completely underestimated aspect of leadership. In fact, a while back, I ran a poll on LinkedIn and I asked the question, if you had to choose only one, which of the following do you think contributes most to a leader's success? The first option was hard skills, like the technical skills. The second option was people skills. And then the third option was attitude and the mental game. Now, before I give you the answer, I invite you to think about this yourself. Which of those do you think has the biggest impact on a leader's success? And I assume you were listening to me this past minute and that you know that number one, the hard skills, the technical skills are not it. And you are right. About 1% said hard skills. Almost 60% said people skills and almost 40% said attitude in a mental game. Because leadership is so much about self-leadership and about creating results through others, it is therefore not a surprise that hard skills get barely a percent in regards to the people who voted on this LinkedIn poll. Another study that I want to share with you here is that a while back, Cornell University partnered up with Green Peak Partners and they ran a study of uh, 72 CEOs. They were all running companies who generated revenue between 50 million and 5 billion annually. And they looked at what aspect of their leadership is contributing most to their success. And what they found was that self-awareness was that key competency. Now, self-awareness is not a skill that you learn when you go and attend a workshop. It's also not something that you typically will get from just reading a book on tactical leadership practices. 
Instead, it has a lot more to do with introspection and self-reflection. And so just as a quick rant, if you ever attend a leadership development program or you're thinking about investing in one yourself, make sure that self-awareness is built into the program, that you're given the tools and the support in order to increase your self-awareness. That is hugely important, yet so often overlooked when we look at leadership development programs. And with that said, this episode is now going to focus on attitudes and principles that will help you become more effective as a leader. They will help you have stronger self-leadership, but also show up as a confident, courageous, and resilient leader who's able to amplify and increase their impact across the organization. Okay, I hope you got curious and I hope you understand why this is so important. And it's also one of the contributing factors of why so many new managers, in fact, 40 to 60%, depending on the study, of new managers fail within their first two years on the job. And the reason is not that these managers are not qualified or not good enough. It's because they're not provided with the tools and resources and guidance that they need. They're not set up for success. As a leader, those technical skills that you relied on and likely got you the promotion into your first leadership role. If I tie it back to that LinkedIn poll, only worth about 1% of your success. What matters now is are your people skills and your attitude and your mental game. And that is really important to acknowledge. I didn't realize that when I stepped into my first leadership role. I thought, well, I've been successful so far um, and been doing a good job and I have good relationships at work and I have to trust from my manager. I will be fine. And then I struggled for two years because I wasn't prepared for the challenges and the new skill set that was demanded from me. So while I hope that you really understand this, also be hopeful and optimistic and encouraged to go down this path because attitude, the mental game, uh, people skills, they're all things that you can learn just like any other technical skills. Self-awareness, it's not something that's sort of aloof or intangible. There are very clear ways to increase your self-awareness. This is what I help my clients with. Increase self-awareness, prepare yourself with the right leadership principles, and adopt a leader's mindset. And then on top of all of that, that is when you start building your leadership toolkit, when you start applying the, the best practices, the tools, the frameworks, and what I call the leadership system that's repeatable no matter what you do or where you go. You have those systems in place that allow you to coach your people, give frequent constructive feedback and praise, to motivate employees, to resolve conflict, to influence, all of that. Good. So let's dive in. In today's episode, I want to share seven specific principles and attitudes that if you take those to heart, you apply them, you foster them, you cultivate them in your leadership style, you get drastically better results as a leader. You become a respected, in-demand leader people love to work for. Is it easy to adapt them? No. Is it doable? Absolutely. That's what I do with my clients in the Leadership Accelerator program. It's a 12-week program and, and clients make a huge leap in all of those principles and attitudes because they don't only know them, but they also get the support and the guidance, not only from me, but also from peers in the program to apply and cultivate these principles in their own leadership roles. Okay, let's dive in. The first one is to see opportunities in problems. 
every challenge, every setback, every mistake, every time you fail, there's always an opportunity to see something or now know something that you didn't see or know before. There's always an opportunity to kickstart a change process, to do something better, to be more prepared, to know what course of action to take from here on out. There's an opportunity to grow, to develop resilience, bond, to develop trust in relationships. Even when, let's say, you're facing a client complaint, we know that, right? There is an opportunity to build a stronger bond and actually a more loyal client if you handle that complaint the right way. But you have to be looking for the opportunities. It doesn't come natural to us to be looking for opportunities. We have to develop the discipline and the self-awareness to have to open our eyes and to actually be looking and searching for it. And when you do, there will be an opportunity. And if you do this well, you do this somewhat publicly with your team and you share this attitude, this principle with them, they will start doing the same. It has a huge ripple effect that will change the culture on your team, in fact. So that was the first one. The second one is emotional responsibility. What that means is that you take 100% responsibility for your emotions and you're not blaming anyone else or any other circumstances for how you feel. It is our thoughts that trigger our feelings. And when I take emotional responsibility, I am able to take the power back. I'm now the one with agency. But if I blame other people for how I feel, then this makes me feel like a victim, as if I didn't have any power. So again, I'm going to repeat this one more time because this is not something many of us have learned in school. Emotional responsibility means to take 100% responsibility for how you feel. And I mean the full range of emotions. So let's say someone is taking credit for work that I've done. Now, if I feel frustrated, angry, or disappointed by this person's behavior... I am not blaming that person and the appropriate reaction, therefore, is that I'm being angry and frustrated and disappointed and might lash out at the person or might go gossip about it or complain about it to others. That is not the appropriate response. Someone else's wrongdoing doesn't mean that I get to do wrong myself. So that means someone else does something that I don't like. I can say... I disapprove of this behavior and I feel angry about it, but I feel angry about it because the way I interpret this situation and you absolutely can feel all kinds of feelings in this regard, but it's not someone else's responsibility. You're responsible for it, which also puts power back to you. And then you can choose at any point in time of what is it now that's going to serve me most in terms of my thoughts and my feelings and my actions as a result of that. For example, after I felt frustration and anger for a moment, I can choose to do the right thing. I can choose to speak with them in private and to give them feedback on the impact it had on me by them taking credit. Or it can prompt me to ask clarifying questions. Maybe it was a misunderstanding, giving them the benefit of the doubt. And so like, hey, when you said this, I got confused because in my view... The maturity of the work has been done by our team and I think credit is due for our team. So please help me see what I'm missing because it seemed to me that you were taking credit for the whole project. 
I don't have to go gossip. I don't have to spiral. I don't have to sit with this negative emotion for days and play it out in my head over and over again, feeling more and more frustrated and disappointed. While the other person who did take credit is just moving on with their lives, not feeling any of that. So I would be the one losing. So it is taking 100% responsibility for your emotions. And if this seems like, whoa, wait a second, I've never thought about this, or I don't quite know what that means, or how would that this apply in my particular situation? I encourage you to schedule a strategy call with me because this is exactly the work that we do in the Leadership Accelerator program. So let's chat to see if this program will help you take ownership of your emotions and your actions so that you become way less reactive and emotions are no longer taking the best of you, but you're back in control. You're in charge. Now, this brings me to attitude and principle number three, which is no whining and no blaming. When we as leaders, we whine, we complain, we blame Again, we're giving away our power and it often feels demoralizing or demotivating to our team members. Our emotions are contagious and we have like a megaphone when we communicate and when we blame and it influences everyone else on our team. It has a ripple effect that cannot be ignored. So if you're in the engineering team and you're constantly blaming the product team for their tight deadlines, or if you're in the sales team and you're constantly blaming the marketing team for not giving you qualified leads, and you share that and you whine about it and you complain about it to your team, your team members will adapt that same attitude. And that's not making them feel motivated. It's not an exciting attitude to have, right? It also is not one that encourages information sharing, collaboration, and teamwork. Instead, it's an attitude that separates, that demotivates, that feels exhausting and it creates silos and it creates conflict between the two teams. So be aware of the ripple effect. The fourth principle is to doing the right thing. And this includes doing the right thing, even if it feels uncomfortable and even if it takes a whole lot of courage on your end to do it. But constantly and consistently asking yourself, what is the right thing to do is invaluable in my point of view. By the way, this also means to sacrifice some short-term gains in order to reap the rewards of long-term benefits. Maybe something feels really good in the moment. You want to just do this because it's going to make you feel productive or because it's a quick win, but it actually takes you away, distracts you from your longer-term vision. Or it distracts you from hiring and building up the resources so that your team is set up for success in three months. It may mean that you have to give tough feedback today in order to avoid a fallout with an employee down the road where they are not understanding where this surprise feedback is coming from that you've been sitting with and stirring over for weeks or months. So don't let stuff slip because it feels uncomfortable or say yes to things because they give you short-term wins, but they compromise the long-term benefits. Doing the right thing is principle number four. Principle number five is to prepare for failure. Failure is a good thing and it's part of success. In school, we all learned that failing is bad and we need to get good grades and we need to always sort of nail it. 
when we fail, we often thought that we're a failure or we're just not good at it. But that has to change. It's a huge mindset shift because that attitude of failure being a bad thing won't get you far in the corporate world, especially not if you're in a startup or in a fast growing environment. Failing is okay. It's not that you're failing. It's not that you're a failure. It is that your work failed. Two different things. And then with failure, you can learn. And with preparing for failure, because you know it's kind of inevitable, even if you're super smart and super successful, at some point something may fail. When we're aware of this, we don't fear failure where we stop thinking about it. It's like fearing death and then we just like we pretend it's not there. Or we might fear looking at our bank account and so we just never check it because we don't want to see what's on it. Or we don't get on the scale because we don't want to see the numbers. So we just pretend like it's not there. The same thing with failure. That's not helping. You have to look at it, embrace it as part of the process. And when you do, it will become a natural principle for you to also look at how can you prevent or mitigate the risk of failure in whatever you're about to tackle do this all the time they know that prospects will have objections right so they know that they could fail because of an objection that they can't handle so what do good salespeople do they brainstorm all kinds of objections that prospects could have and then they prepare effective responses to it that is exactly the process that I'm describing when I talk about preparing for failure it doesn't mean that you're desiring to fail but it means that you look ahead you embrace it as part of the process and then you look for ways to mitigate the risk of it also what good salespeople do is that every time they do get an objection that they couldn't handle effectively they will update their notes refine their notes change the script of how they respond to this objection in order to be better prepared for it next time And that same principle is what we want to bring into how we lead our team and lead projects at work. So that was principle number five. Principle and attitude number six is to focus on what we can control and not what we cannot control. This is a very famous principle from Stoicism. It's called the dichotomy of control. But in a nutshell, in any situation that you're in, And any challenge that you're facing, there are certain things that are within your control and there are certain things that are outside of your control. For example, what other people think of you is outside of your control. But how you show up towards these people, that is within your control. So instead of focusing not just our attention and our efforts, but also our mental energy the drama in our head, our thinking, when we focus all that on the things we can't control, the risks out there. When we do this, we distract ourselves from the things that are actually within our control. If you have 100% of mental capacity, think about how much of that capacity, of that 100% are you spending on things you can't control? such as what other people think or organizational decisions, such as whether or not people will have to go back to the office, right? That's outside of your control. So how much do you spend on that versus how much do you spend thinking about and then acting on the things that are within your control? We want to spend way more time on the things that we can control than the things we cannot control. So that's principle number six. And then principle and attitude number seven is to always be learning 
to always look for ways to gain a different perspective, to see something we didn't see before, to challenge our own thinking, to learn about ourselves and our potential blind spots, our biases, to learn from other people and to recognize that every single other human being on this planet has something that they can teach us if we're just open to it. So continuously be looking for the things that we can learn, to be curious, to invest time in professional development, personal development, in reading, in conversations, in building self-awareness and, and challenging yourself and all of that. So these are seven key leadership attitudes and principles that in my view and based on the experience from coaching and training hundreds of new managers, I believe are among the most important factors that lead to great leadership and if applied well and consistently will drastically change your impact and your influence as a leader at work. So I'm going to quickly recap the seven principles before we wrap up this episode. Number one was to see opportunities in problems. Number two, take 100% emotional responsibility. Number three, no whining and blaming. Number four, doing the right thing, even if it takes courage or is uncomfortable. Number five, prepare for failure. Number six, focus on what you can control. And number seven, always be learning. Again, if you want to know how I support my clients in embracing those, cultivating those, and incorporating them into their professional roles, then head on over to RamonaShaw.com forward slash apply to schedule a call or visit RamonaShaw.com forward slash leadership dash accelerator to learn more about the 12-week program for new managers. I will link to both of them in the show notes. And if you found this episode valuable, please pass it along to friends or colleagues who benefit from this as well or tag me on social media. I would love to see you listening to this or, and hear about your number one takeaway. Which of those principles resonated with you most? I'd love, love, love to know. So post it up on social media, tag me and add your number one key takeaway. I can't wait to see your responses and I look forward to chatting with you again next week. Take good care. Bye-bye. If you love this show, then you love even more my free training for new managers. If you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.